Let's pray together. Father, during this time as we're unpacking these scriptures, uh, Lord, would you take the opportunity to plant some seeds in our heart that will grow up into a life that, that pleases you, makes you happy. Uh, Lord, we're in need of you, so come close and plant and water these seeds to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Like I said a little bit earlier, the, the church calendar is flipped. We're beginning a, a brand new year, uh, very similar to how in a little over a month we're leaving 2020 behind and going to 2021. Uh, yay. <laughs> but in, in the church, today is the first day of a brand new year, so happy new year. Come on, happy new year. There you go. It's a brand new time. It's a, a a new season. Like I said, it starts four weeks before Christmas. And there are two really big themes that Advent, this season that we've just begun, are, are holding in tension because they're a little bit different from each other. The first theme is we're anticipating the Messiah's second coming, that Jesus is coming back to set the world right. And so we're looking forward to that and anticipating it. But, but that's, uh, there's a lot of unknown about that, and some people are fearful of that. But we hold that intention as something that's just as true as he already came first. He, he, he came, we celebrate that at Christmas, that God came to be with us. Uh, that he is one of us. He, he was made flesh and bone, just like we're flesh and bone. And he died on the cross to save us. And, and he's, his intent is to restore us into full relationship with God and, and a full becoming who we were meant to be. Right? So we celebrate his first, his first coming, which we're looking forward to that in this season, to that celebration. But we're also anticipating his second coming. It's not as popular a topic because it deals with some things that are kind of uncomfortable. Um, the most uncomfortable of which is this idea of judgment, that there's judgment that's coming. I see a couple of heads nodding that, uh, about that. Uh, one of the good things about our lectionary, our, our lectionary is we have planned out, it was planned out for us, we have we have a three-year system of reading through the Scriptures. And on Sundays, if you come every Sunday for the next three years, you're going to hear all the major themes, most of the Scriptures. There will be very few things that, that you won't hear. And one of the good things about doing that is we don't just find our favorite things that we like to talk about and preach on those Sunday after Sunday. We have to deal with everything. You know, and so this is one of those things that we deal with. We're reminded about things like God's judgments and that we're, that's, that's something that we have to prepare for. Uh, we're reminded that God is not only love, but God is a consuming fire. Both of those things are equally true. Uh, throughout all of Scripture, we are made aware that God can and does bring judgment, bring a reckoning to the world. You know, as we saw a few weeks ago, this was 
uh, brought up in the sermon at the beginning of November, it's the necessity of good to bring evil to an end. It's the necessity that judgment comes. But it's the heart of good to bring salvation. Uh, In the end, all things that are wrong are going to be made right. Uh, We're not excluded from that process. We are going to be made right and whole. But it's a theme that we find over and over in the scriptures. For instance, when the Jewish nation was taken out of captivity in Egypt, God judged the gods of Egypt through those plagues. Those plagues were judgments against the gods of Egypt and against Pharaoh who, would, who refused to not worship those gods. Uh, later on, the people of God were reminded by the prophets over and over that disobedience brings an accounting. It brings a, a, a judgment. It, it, it brings a, a, a day when you have to face up to it. And that we're told over and over throughout the Old Testament that it's the, the nature of the Messiah that when he comes, and we know when he comes again, that he's going to enact the final judgment, that final accounting, that facing up to what's wrong that needs to be set right. Now, the criteria for judgment is echoed all through all the prophets of Israel. Uh, Over and over, you will read in them that God, over and over, was calling his people to himself and calling them to live righteously, uh, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with their God. Uh, he, He... called his people and is calling his people to have care and concern for the weakest members of society, the poor and the widows and the orphans. He's calling his people to take great care that the whole world come to know him as he really is. And to ignore those things, to refuse to engage in those things, to contradict God's commands about those things, is to invite our own rebuke, our our own judgment. Uh, If we won't repent, that's what we're inviting. Much of the scripture is really concerned with God's people turning away from God and, and God chases after his people, at first with tenderness and mercy, just looking for them like a lost sheep and calling them to come back. And then when they refuse to come back, he gets sterner, even uh, entering into what we would call a righteous anger and, and, and you know rebuking them, sometimes harshly. But when they do come back, he welcomes them back and, and he forgives them. And he restores them and and calls them again to walk with him and to know him. And then again, this cycle begins of, no, they won't do it. And they'll wander away and run away and refuse to come back. And God will chase after them and they'll repent and be restored. And then it repeats. They run away. They repent. They're restored. They run away. They repent and they're restored. But God says there's coming a time 
when the cycle will be broken, there will be no more cycle. It's got to come to an end at some point. When God himself will come and once and for all, he will overcome everything that's evil and broken. He'll reward the righteous. He'll restore creation to its, its full intent when it was created. That that day be, begins with the return of Jesus. In Psalm 80 that we read this morning, it's an appeal, it's a call from God's people that God would have mercy on us and that he'd rescue us from this place where we found ourselves when we wander away. It's a call for him to come and save us and to deliver us from all our troubles. You may remember it talks about having we're, we're, the food that God has given us is, is bread made of tears and tears to drink. We're so lamenting the fact of how far we've strayed from God. But God, will you come and restore us? And it had this refrain. We didn't read the whole psalm, but we read this three times in verse 3, 7, and 19. And we said, restore us again, O God. Restore us again. Show the light of your countenance. In other words, show us who you really are. That brings light into our world. We, when we see you for who you really are, that breaks into the darkness where we are. When we understand who you are, it lets us know, oh my goodness, I can live a lot differently than I've lived it. Show us that light. Show us who you really are. And we shall be whole. That this idea is that if we can really see God for who he is, that, that as we come closer to him, we're restored. We're, we're made into who we're meant to be. Uh, in uh, Christian circles, we call it discipleship and, and getting more mature, spiritually mature. But really, it's just about being more mature. Not just physically, but our character and our love for God and our knowledge of him. And, but we have to see him. We have to have him come close to us. So, oh, God, break into where we are and restore us. Show us who you are so that we can become whole. Not knowing God leaves us in bad predicaments from which we need to be saved. When we turn and we, we, we walk away from him, we end up in situations that, a lot of nations around the world face, our country is facing more than, uh, than we have maybe ever. And it comes from forgetting who God is. It comes from turning away from him. Brokenness comes into our land. We start building our lives on things that aren't worthwhile. Money and power don't last. Uh, doing what we want and by golly we have a right to is really a broken way of going about life, and it brings brokenness. And we need God to break in and show us who he really is. I'm thinking that we're in enough trouble that there are more people who are praying prayers like this than, than I've known. I'm not an old man, I'm, but I'm older than I was. I've never seen as many people praying for this kind of stuff that, as I'm seeing now. 
I am hoping and I'm praying. I'm actually asking God, let this be the start of another great awakening in our country. Because we're seeing what comes out of living a life apart from God. We don't trust each other. We have divisions between us. We, we don't trust our government. We don't trust our election systems. We don't trust the media. We don't trust each other. We're, you know, people are, are mad and burning things down. And, and, and we're, we're, we're starting to see that this isn't a good way to live. And we need something different. Oh, God, let this be the start of a great awakening and a coming back to figuring out who you are. Restore us again, O oh God. Show us the light of your countenance, and we shall be whole. We won't be whole without him. Now, this is a theme. This kind of thing is something that as you read through the scriptures and the story of the people of God, everything that's happened for the past few thousand years, everything that we're told will happen, this is one of those overarching themes that come up over and over and over. Now, in 1 Corinthians, we have this, this beginning of a letter that Paul wrote to a group of believers in Jesus in a city called Corinth. And he brings up something interesting. It's the idea of eagerly waiting for Jesus to come and set things right. Eagerly waiting. Now, I wondered, what's that like? And so, but here's what it says. Paul starts out, he says, this is who wrote the letter. So Paul and Sosthenes kind of came together and wrote this together. He said, Paul, called to be an apostle by Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and... Our brother Sosthenes. Now, if you're looking for a good baby name, I don't know why you're not choosing Sosthenes. It's a good biblical name. There's a good one. And, and he says, this is who it's written to. This is written to the church of, of God in Corinth. These are the believers in Corinth. To those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. Just as you're, everybody, we all together are called to be holy. With those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So this is and written to the church in Corinth, but it applies to all of us because we all have that same calling. To be holy and call on his name. And this is what he says. First thing he wants them to know. In the middle, at the beginning of this letter where he's going to be telling them, you're doing that wrong and I can't believe you're doing that. How can you let this happen? And he's about to get into that. But he starts off and he says, first thing I want you to know is God is offering you grace and peace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, is that familiar words? That's how we've been starting off our services for months, right? You recognize that? This is where it came from. And he goes on. He says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Oh, God, thank you for this church because you gave him grace. For in him, in Jesus, you've all been enriched in every way. Every way. Knowing Jesus makes a difference in every area of your life. Your whole life is richer because of him, because of the grace that he's given you. 
And you can't escape it. It's there in your work. It's there in your family. It's, it's there in your troubles. It's, it's there when you're rejoicing and happy. It's there year after year. In every way, your life has been enriched in Jesus. In all your speaking, in all your knowledge, you're, you've been learning about this, and it's affecting how you look at the world. It's, it's affecting how you talk to each other. All those things that you, you've ever thought that you've known before, you're reevaluating it all and seeing a depth that you've never seen before. And it's because our testimony, me and Sosthenes, your new grandbaby's name, it's because our testimony about Christ it was confirmed in you. Everything that we said about Jesus, you're finding out it's true. You're finding out that, that you really can be born again, that you can have a new life, that you have this new relationship with God. There are no barriers in this fresh relationship that God has given you because of Jesus. You have a new heart to live it all out. You've gotten, you've gotten all of this. You know, you've confirmed everything that we said. You found out it's true. Therefore, he says, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. And he's talking about when Jesus comes back. He says, there's nothing you lack and you're eagerly waiting. And I'm like, eagerly waiting? I, I don't think many of us find waiting to be something that we enter into eagerly. I think waiting is something that tries our patience more than anything. And it made me think of this. I don't know if y'all have seen on, on Instagram, there's this, uh, there's this account. Uh, it's called Miserable Men. Anybody know where I'm going? Miserable Men. And, and these are pictures that people will take and they'll upload to this account of men in malls and shopping areas that are waiting on their wives and girlfriends. And, and this is how they get caught. He's not out shopping by himself, is he? He's waiting on somebody. And here's a dad that's a baby on him because the baby stroller is filled with all the goods. And uh, I, I love... I love this one. Not only do you have the guy in red with that look on his face, and he's holding, what is that, a dress? He's holding something on his, but see the guy sitting on the floor looking at him like, oh, I wish I was in the chair. I love that one. And then here's, you know, here's 15 guys just sitting around. They're all guys, and they're all waiting. I don't think many, I think this is how we perceive waiting. But Paul says these guys are eagerly waiting. And waiting is actually something that's part of our spirituality. It's part of our discipleship. It's one of the first things that the disciples were told to do. When Jesus, he's crucified three days later. He rises from the dead. He spends 40 days with his disciples. And just before he leaves the planet, the last thing he tells them is, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem for the promise, the Holy Spirit that's coming. So I want you to wait. And he didn't tell them how long. But it turned out it was 10 days, right? But they waited. That's the first thing they had to do was to wait. Wait. 
I think they were anticipating it. I think they knew this was going to be something good. This is something that's been prophesied for hundreds of years as, as a really good thing that's coming. So they were probably a little bit eager about it. Um, and it's, it's part of what we do. But I think it's comparable to the waiting that children have to do when they're looking forward to Christmas. I think that's one a really good picture of eagerly waiting for something. Oh, Mom, Dad, how long until Christmas? I can't wait for Christmas. You've probably, you probably liked that when you were a child, right? Um, uh, it's, it's something that I think we as adults have grown out of. We're not as excited about getting gifts and all that. There are things about it we look forward to, but we're not like the children who can't sleep at night because Christmas is coming. Um, and it occurs to me that the return of Jesus, which we're supposed to be eagerly waiting for, is actually something that's so good. It's something worth anticipating and looking forward to. It should be something that we want, not something that we're fearful of. The only ones who need to be afraid of it are the ones that are running from God and refuse to repent. If that's you, then be afraid of it and repent. Because the rest of us, this is something good. All evil is going to be overcome. Everything broken is going to be made whole. That, that means things like no more murder. No more pedophiles. No more flawed political systems. No more alcoholism. Or addictions. No more growing old and dying from horrible diseases. No more oil spills and nuclear meltdowns. No more war. All those things get cleaned up. That's something to look forward to. That's something to to anticipate. And, and, and it requires some active waiting. And I, I think we've come up with ways to help our children actively wait. One of the things that, that some families use is an Advent calendar, a way to count down how long it's going to be until Christmas. You know, maybe with lessons or gifts or something that happens every day that lets us know when we're getting closer. And there are a couple of, of Ways to to do that. You know, there are all kinds of of ways. But it reminds us of what's important. It gives us a focus of things to do between now and then as we're waiting. And we're looking forward so much to what's coming. But the problem is, when it comes to Jesus' second coming, we don't know when it's going to be. We don't have a good countdown. So what do we do? How can, you know, because we don't know. Well, Jesus talks a little bit about that in our gospel lesson this morning. It comes out of Mark 13. And in verse 28, Jesus is teaching and he's, he's talking about when all this stuff is going to happen, when he's going to be coming back again. And, and he says this, he says, y'all, it's kind of like a lesson you can learn from a fig tree. Now, fig tree is popular back then. If you live over there now, you, this, you'll, you'd understand what this is. It says, as soon as a fig tree's twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer's near. 
I think maybe around here we could say things like, well, as soon as, as you know, there start to be some buds on, uh, on the trees and, you know, you start to get those little fresh leaves that are coming out and flowers are starting to grow out and, you know, bushes are starting to, to have those. Then we know that spring is coming. Right? It's the same kind of thing. Jesus says, you can learn from the fig tree. You know when the seasons are changing. When you see things like that, you know it's happening. You know it's near. It's right at the door. And so he's giving us a clue that we should be able to anticipate when he's coming, just like we anticipate when spring is coming or summer's coming. We'll be able to know we're getting close to the time that he's going to return. And so we have to kind of look up and say, what are these things that he's been talking about? And he says a lot of stuff and a lot of it, you know, it talks about wars and it, it talks about earthquakes and and plagues and all that. Those are things that happen all the time anyway. And it's hard hard to understand how that could help us. But he says a couple of things that do help. And it would be well for us to look at those clues. For instance, if you go back up to verse 10, he says, here's something for you to look for. One of the things is the gospel must first be preached to all nations. And we're closer than we ever have been to having that come true. We're working at that. And nations doesn't mean geopolitical things you can see on the globe with different colors. It means just people groups. There are different people groups out there. Um, We support a, a... a missions agency called Anglican Frontier Missions. And they have as their goal to reach people groups that have never heard the gospel before. And they send missionaries out to those places. And it says on their website, I looked it up yesterday, it says we have, uh, here's the quote, there are 7,000 unreached people groups still waiting to hear the gospel for the very first time. But you go back a few years, that was 10,000, 19,000, 32,000. We're closer than we ever have been. And there are more missionaries being sent out today than there ever have been in history. Faster and faster, we're sending people to these unreached groups. And that's one of the clues that we're getting closer When all these groups have been reached, it's like buds coming out. You know you're getting close. Here's something else that Jesus said. He said another clue is, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it doesn't belong. Well, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Without getting too technical, here's what he's talking about. About 140 years before... Jesus was born. There was a Roman uh, general that went into Jerusalem, into the temple, and he sacrificed a pig on the altar, which is horrible to the Jews, and put up idols, put up statues uh, of Roman gods. He desecrated the temple, and they called that the abomination of desolation. It was the worst thing. It was, it was, it was an awful thing that happened Back then, but Jesus says, when you see that happen again, then understand, if you're in Judea, this region of Israel that he was standing in when he 
was telling him this. He said, if you're here when that happens, run. Get out of here. That's a clue. And really what that means to me and you is you have to have a temple for a temple to be desecrated. Well, right now over in Israel, everything that goes into making the temple is ready for a temple to be built. All the stones have been cut. All the pipes are laid out. All the wiring is ready to go. All the garments are made. All the lamps are made, just like they were in biblical days. They're ready. All they need is the permission to build it on the Temple Mount. When they get that permission, they'll build it almost overnight. They are ready to go. Now, when it gets built, then it can be desecrated. When it gets built, that's another flower telling you spring's coming. That's one of the things that I'm looking out for. That's another clue. And when it gets desecrated, you might want to take cover. Jesus also said this, but this is a little nebulous. He says there are going to be days of, of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world. Never from that time until now has, has the level of distress ever been equaled. So it's like, huh. So look out for everybody hears the gospel. There's a temple that gets desecrated and, and things are really bad. Well, are things right now the worst that they've ever been? I don't know. Or could they get worse? I guess, probably. But that's a little nebulous. But he says, after that, um, it says, no one knows when that's going to happen. No one knows what day it'll be. We. Our calendar doesn't have it circled on the calendar. We don't know what time of day it's going to be. The angels in heaven don't know. Jesus didn't know when he said this. Only God knew. But be on guard. Be alert. You don't know when that time's going to come. But you will know when it's getting close. And then we pick up with our reading from the gospel today. Verse 24. In those days following the distress... When the sun goes out and the moon doesn't shine and the stars don't shine, you'll know. You're right there. At that time, you'll be able to see the Son of Man coming in clouds. With great power. Glory. So there's signs that lead up to it. And you should be aware of that. Jesus said that we should be aware. Then he tells this little short parable about waiting. He says, guys, it's going to be kind of like this. He says, it's kind of like a man going away and he leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge and each of them have an assigned task. And he tells the one at the door to keep watch. Because that's what you do when you're at the door. The people inside can't keep watch and look and see if the master's coming back. But the people at the door can watch and look and see when he's coming back. And he says, therefore, that's what I want you to do. I want you to keep watch. You don't know when the owner of the house will come back. 
could be in the evening, could be at midnight, could be with when the rooster crows, which is not long before dawn. It could be at dawn. But if he comes suddenly, don't let him catch you sleeping. You're supposed to be busy. There are things that you've been given to do. And so what I say to you, Jesus says, I say to everyone, and so Jesus says this to you and me, and you online, he says, watch, be alert, keep looking, look for the signs, be aware, know what's going on, and do your part because you have assigned tasks. Now, the task that we believe that God has given all souls is to know Christ and make him known. And in order to know Christ and make him known, we will go love together. Going, you remember, is be and make disciples. You have to be a disciple. Search your heart. Maybe your task over Advent is search your heart. Find out, is there any place in, in you that you have not yet invited Jesus to be Lord in that place? You're not being obedient in that place. You're not submitting to him in that place. This is your time. Maybe that's what you do. Look for that. Be a disciple. Maybe it's help to make a disciple. Help somebody else to grow spiritually. Find somebody that, that you know, you're a step or two farther along or you want to walk with them. Y'all can join up together and help each other out. Have coffee with somebody that you don't know. Take them to a playground, depending on their age. But get together with somebody else. Help them down that road. We love. We're called to love, which means we worship God and we serve our neighbor. So, so maybe during Advent, you need to enter into worship on Sundays and worship by yourself during the week with, with more of your heart than you're doing right now. Maybe, maybe you're just going through the motions. But it's only meaningless if you don't mean it. Put your heart into it. Put your heart into the songs that we sing, into the songs that you sing during the week. Maybe you need to start singing songs during the week. Maybe you need to start praying during the week. Put your heart into that. Put your heart into the prayers. Put your heart into what we're doing. Because we are coming close to the living God. So worship God and serve your neighbor. Christmas is so often about me, me, me. What do I want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? It's all about you, you, you. Maybe instead, focus some this Advent on how do I help somebody else? What can I do that would just help? I can take the trash out this time. Or I can come alongside somebody who's really struggling in an area. I mean, they, they need somebody to help them out for a few weeks. Maybe, you know, there are different ways to help and serve other people. But we're called to love. We're called to worship God and serve each other. We're also called together. Maybe, maybe during this season, you're called to get in a small group. We have several small groups. I have one. We have a few others. If you're not in one, call the office. We'll, we'll help you get hooked up with one. Do you come to Thursday evening prayer? That's a small group. You can join us. We're going to start again this Thursday. But get with other people. Live life together. It makes it much better. 
We isolate way too much. We need each other like coals in a fire need each other. If you take a coal out of the fire and set it aside, what happens to it? It grows cold. It goes out. But when they're all together, they help each other burn, right? If we're going to be on fire, we've got to be together. So don't fall asleep while you're waiting. Be eagerly waiting. Be busy with what we're supposed to be doing. The sooner we do what we're called to do, the sooner he comes back. And that's a good thing. He's going to set this world straight. That's worth waiting on. That's worth working for. And that's what this season is about. Amen? Amen. Amen.